Psalm chapter 78. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Where it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers. They should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The title of the message this morning, Establishing a Testimony with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity is ours to open your precious word. We thank you for our fathers, for our fathers who have taught us and instructed us and, and guided us in the way of life. And I pray, Father, as we look into the word of God today, that we would be helped and strengthened and encouraged in our walk with the Lord. I pray that the Spirit of God would have His will and His way. We allow Him to search our hearts and, and Father, to look for ways to um, improve, to forsake those things that are not pleasing to Thee, and cast them off, and to put on works of righteousness. And Father, that we might um, uh, be successful in our life and pleasing to Thee. Uh, so just help all of us, Father, as we look at some principles of the Word of God that we might apply to our lives. And most of all, we might have that relationship with you that pleases thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Your Father is a name of God. Now think about that for a minute. Father is a name of God. That he has given to men who have children. But many do not really consider the implications and responsibilities that go with that name. You know, a father, a godly father, is to be the head of the home. He's to be the leader, the prophet, priest, and king of his castle, if you will. So being a father is an awesome responsibility and privilege. One man said this, about fathers and the father, and this is dated, 36% of American children will sleep tonight in homes where their fathers are not living. Statistics aside, one thing is clear, fathers are not only missing, fatherhood itself is under attack. Strident feminists claim that all men are misogynous. That means you're strongly prejudiced against women. So if you, if you believe that Dad all lead at home, then you're strongly prejudiced against women. That's what feminists think. Anyway, so they're, they're misogynists, molesters, rapists, abusers, and at best, superfluous. 
Even in calmer circles, the very word masculinity is viewed as a vicious attack on women and a major part of the problem. The model father is patterned along maternal lines. Daddy in apron, daddy changing diapers, daddy making beds, daddy is mommy's good little helper. We have Mr. Moms, visitation dads, live-in boyfriends, foster, and stepfathers. But what kids need is their own fathers who are strong family leaders. In the creator scheme of things, there is Adam and Eve, a father and a mother. And in God's economy, children need both. Only fools would pit one against the other, make rivals out of the marital team, or divide the union that is by definition one flesh. Even when homes have been shattered tragically or unavoidably by death or divorce, people still agree that both father and mother is best. Little boys by nature are not good at lectures or sermons or playing the psychological mind games that grown-ups are given to, but they can pick up on the visible presence of a man who is providing for them, protecting them, guiding them, and disciplining them. What, pray tell, is the alternative to the head of the house? A monstrosity with no head? The, the wrong head or two heads? When a baby is born, a father is also born out of a man who never was one before. He is awed and humbled and scared to cradle this little new life in his own arms for the first time. And he can only learn what it really means for our Father who art in heaven. All of Scripture is an unfolding of a good father's will and way with his children. The Bible insists on the primary fruit of repentance. Turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. If that isn't first, you can kiss the rest goodbye. Unquote. See, being a father, as I said, has great implications and responsibilities and privileges that go along with it. You know, and, and a couple of verses came to mind. I was thinking about this. Uh, in, in Exodus 34, 7, uh, the Bible says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and the fourth generation. Of course, you know, as I thought about that, this verse also kind of mine, Deuteronomy 24, 16, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. But it is obvious that God expects fathers to train their children to keep the way of the Lord. And that there's a responsibility that goes with being a father to do just that. And we know, you know, if you, if, if you don't have your head in the sand, but there are sins that are passed down from generation to generation, if not checked by one generation. And here in Psalm 78, the psalmist is talking about passing the faith and the commandments and the testimony of God from one generation to the next. And that's what God desires of us, particularly us as fathers and as parents. You know, again, mothers have a role in this as well. But, you know, he addresses it mostly to the fathers. Uh, 
And I got three things I want to mention this morning and, and sub points. First of all, we must know the Lord. We, he wants us to pass on this knowledge of the Lord. In verse 3 it says, Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. So we, we must know the Lord, or we must have a relationship with the Lord. You know, this is simply, I know some things, this is not simply, I know some things about God, but a relational knowledge of experience with God. Having put one's trust in, in, the, in Him as Lord and Savior, is to experience a walk, a life, with the Heavenly Father, knowing His will and doing it, giving Him the preeminence, Allowing him to lead and control the direction and choices you make in life. We're talking about an experiential knowledge here, a relationship. It is submitting to his authority and rule over our lives. It means we seek his counsel, we obey his instructions. We only act if we know it's his will. Now, it's interesting, he, it says he established a testimony in Jacob. It's not conniving or scheming or forcing our own way. Think of Jacob. That's what he did. Jacob, Jacob and his mother thought they had to help God fulfill the promises to Jacob. You know, it brought a lot of problems into Jacob's life. You know, God had made some promises to Jacob. Look at Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. You know, despite who Jacob was, and, but you know, the focus isn't Jacob. And we must not focus on, we must not focus on what we are, but what God can do with us. See, Jacob, for too long, Jacob had his eyes on, how am I going to get this? How am I going to make this happen? That's the wrong perspective. See, he was a little impatient. We talked about patience. He was a little impatient. He was going make God, to make, make God's promise happen on his time and in his terms. In, in Genesis 28, Verse 12 through 22, it says, you know, Jacob here is, is on his way to, to Laban after he's already, you know, stolen the birthright and so on, and Esau's ready to kill him. It says, and he dreamed it, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in thee and all thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and bring thee again to this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob waked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone. And he, put it, he had put for his pillows and set it for a pillar, poured oil upon the top of it, called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, if God will be with me 
and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give unto thee, a tenth unto thee. See, God is making these promises to Jacob, and he was promising him that he would give him this land. He would fulfill the promises of Abraham and Isaac through Jacob. By the way, that eliminates, eliminates uh, Ishmael and Esau. There goes your heir right out the door. The land isn't theirs. It's Jacob's. And, and so anyway, he made, God made these promises to, them, to him that he would give it to him. He said, I will give it to thee. And he didn't have to scheme his way through life to have those promises brought to pass or to prosper in his way. You see, when we do that, what that really shows is we really don't rely or trust in the Lord. See, God has given, that, given us the promise, given the promise to Jacob. You know, think about it. Did he trust that God with that promise when he saw Esau coming? To meet him? You know, this requires, again, this, this experiential knowledge requires continual communion and fellowship with the Lord. You know, it requires uh, communion for, and for wisdom and strength. Wisdom in governing our homes, our wives, our children. In, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, and, and verses 5 through uh, 12, Solomon has just been anointed king and the Lord appears to him in a dream and asks him, what shall I give thee? Verse 5, and Solomon said, thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee and thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child, I know not how to go out or come in, and thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So, you know, Solomon here asked for a wise and understanding heart. To know how to govern this people. You know, we need to ask God for a wise and understanding heart how to answer, how to address the needs and situations in our homes. How to lead our homes. The word understanding is used 1,159 times in the Bible. 785 of those, it's the word here. It's, it's translated in English, the word here. 196 times, hearken. 
See, Solomon was saying, basically what he's saying was, God, I need your wisdom to hear so that I can understand what the needs of this people is. You know, sometimes we fathers act rashly and we don't really listen or perceive what the real need is. We need, it. We need wisdom. We need the wisdom of God to hear and understand the needs of our wives and our children. You know, sometimes people say, well, that's just the way I was taught. Well, is it right? Is it pleasing to the Lord? You know, we, are, we should not just react harshly like Rehoboam did, and he caused the people to be estranged from him. You know, the people came to Rehoboam and said, uh, look, if you, if you lower the taxes, we'll be your servants. And he, so he, he asked counsel, which is a good thing. He asked counsel with the old man. The old man said, yeah, hearken to the people, lower the taxes. Your father became burdensome to them. Lower the taxes and they'll serve you. Ah, uh, he didn't think about it. He, he, he went to the young man, his peers that were grown up with him. He said, what do you think I should do? And he said, you tell them your little finger will be thicker than your father's loins. In other words, you're going to raise your taxes and you're going to make, them, make their servitude greater. And because he re- took their, their advice, he reacted harshly and the people were estranged from him. So, you know, we need to have wisdom as, as, as fathers. We need to have wisdom of God to seek to establish, and this is, this is A, under number one, to seek to establish a testimony in our homes, proving to our family a real living relationship with God. You know, the interesting thing is about Solomon, and, and then 1 Kings chapter 3, the last verse of that chapter says this, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom was God in him to do judgment. God, he asked God for wisdom and understanding heart, and the Bible says that that because of that he that what God gave him, all Israel saw it. That he had the wisdom of God. To do judgment. They had confidence in him that they could go to him and he would make he would listen to their cases and make wise judgments. Fathers, that's the way we need to be with our children. You know, Colossians 3:21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. The word discouraged means disheartened or broken in spirit. The attitude of what's use, I can't, and I can relate to this. What's use, I can't do anything right. Only I get criticism. And many times that attitude comes about because of a lack of understanding from Father. So we need, to, we need to seek to establish a testimony with an understanding heart. We should also set the standard of right. In verse 5, he also says, 
He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel. Now, when we think about appointing a law, it says a law which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to the children. When we think about a law, that's a standard. Fathers, we as heads of homes are to instruct our children and to correct our children. We ought to set a standard of right and wrong. This requires, of course, that they are taught and also they are corrected when they disobey. Over and over again, the Bible talks about it. Let's look at several passages. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1 in verse 8. You're the wisest king, said this. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. And then again in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear ye children the instruction of a, of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. He said, I was my, I was my father's son, and he taught me also. You know, David taught Solomon the law of God. You know, God gave Solomon a name. It was Jedediah. It means beloved of the Lord. See, Solomon just didn't pull his attitude of submission to God just out of thin air, that he was just naturally submitted to God. No, he learned it from his father. His father taught it to him. By the way, that's the same father that raised Amnon and Absalom. Just remind, there's no such thing as a perfect father. He failed with those two, but with Solomon he instilled that into him. Isaiah 38, 19 says, The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. But I believe this is what's happening in America in many circles. Fathers don't take lead in this, and children are growing up believing that religion is for women and children. A real racial, uh, I mean, real men don't go to church. Real men don't play piano. That's for ladies. I hope you know the, the, the best piano players there are are all men. And I'm not prejudiced against women. I love women. And, you know, you, you may differ from me, but the best singers, as far as I'm concerned, I'd listen to them all day, is men. I love listening to, you know, I have an uh, ambassador has a quartet CD that Andrew Melinda got me. 
You know, and I got Irish tenors and all that kind of stuff, but I just soon listened to Ambassador's Quartet. And, you know, there's, you know, women don't compare, as far as I'm concerned. No offense to women. I enjoy listening to the women sing, too, but anyway, I'm digging a hole for myself. So, so much for this ghost, nice, good, virtuous women thing, huh? See, I told you I'd say something good about the men. But see, we have this attitude, you know, we fostered this attitude in many of our churches that men don't do certain things. Why not? It's not sissy to sing. It's not sissy for men to wash dishes. I don't care if you think it is or not. It doesn't take my man card. Although I don't care to do it, and I do it, don't, don't do it very often. Or change a diaper, but I'm not mommy's little helper. You see, religion, true religion is for real men. Because a real man acknowledges his need of God and has a desire to worship and serve God. And if we're going to see our children go on and, 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 have, and, and serve the Lord, we, we've got to demonstrate to that to them. You know, we are to show that to the Lord. Now, if you notice in verse 4, it says, We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. And his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. You know, so we are to show the, the Lord to our children. It is imperative we demonstrate the Lord in our lives by our praises to him. The word praises is, has the idea of honoring him in song is, is kind of inferred here. But to honor him for who he is. You know, we need to praise. We need to show the praises of God. We demonstrate that to our children. Uh, you know, that he is righteous in all his ways. He is merciful. He is compassionate. He is considerate. Look at Psalm 103. And these are things that we ought to try and emulate in our own lives as fathers. Psalm 103. And, uh, and I need to skip some of this for sake of time. But verse 5 says, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, who, the Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Uh, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. See, God is a compassionate, merciful, considerate God. He is a good God. Psalm 33, 5, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 101, or 100, verse 5, The Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, His truth endureth to all generations. We know that He's a God that cares. He has feelings for us. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you, 1 Peter 5, 7. 
heck, he says you are of more value. You know, he knows when a sparrow falls, and he says you are of more value than many sparrows. You see, we ought to be praising the Lord for his goodness. Sing praises on the name for his pleasant. For he is worthy of praise. We ought not to be ashamed, men, to praise God for who he is. And to praise him before our children. Give him the honor that's due his name. We are also to show his strength. The word strength here means might. As I considered it, I was thinking about one who is immutable. He does not change. He's firm. He is not moved. He's not distracted or removed from his purposes by what we or others do. He does not change. And if we are resting in him, then we are not distracted or shaken or moved by what others do. Consistent, stable, faithful, can be relied on and trusted. Our God is dependable. Our Father is dependable. He's of power, of might to change and transform our lives. You know, wisdom is we will be able by the power of God to be better or improve than our fathers were. And strength from God can break those generational sins that I spoke of earlier. If you notice in verse 78, or chapter 78 here in verse 8, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You know, that first generation of the children of Israel were stubborn and rebellious. The second generation that endured the hardships of the wilderness believed God and entered the promised land. They were not like their fathers. You know what the sad thing is? The third generation became like the first. That's a natural tendency. But it's up to us to impress upon our children, to show to our children the strength of God. You know, many times, sinful habits and actions, attitudes are passed on from generation to generation. Drinking, smoking, eating habits, bitterness, anger, critical attitude. But it does not have to be. Fleshly habits are works of the flesh. And Galatians 5.16 says, This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. See, we need to show our children that by the strength of God, we can have victory over those things. That it can be different at my house. Because there's a God. That has power. We also need to show his wonderful works. Notice again verse 4. And his wonderful works that he hath done. The last half of that verse. The the word wonderful means to be marvelous. Or be surpassing. Be extraordinary. Psalm 78 is a historical record. Of God's amazing works. To his people. 
we ought to show our children and remind them how God has worked in our lives. How he orders events, people, circumstances, his word to bring about his will in our lives. How he provides for us. Notice verses 18 through 29. It says, And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, the waters gushed out, the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this, and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Because they believed not in God, trusted not in his salvation, though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them the corn of heaven, Man that ate angels' food, he sent them meat to the full. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathers fouled like the sand of the sea. And he, he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations, so that it eat and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. Sometimes I'm afraid we get so consumed with ourselves we forget that we don't see how God takes care of us and provides for us. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 14 I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. When you start bragging about what you have, you ought to step back and say, what God hath enabled me. You see, Paul said, Paul could have boasted, but he said, the Lord hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It was he that put me in the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. He was an insolent man, uplifted with pride, you know, heaping insults and shameful acts and wrong upon others. But he said, the Lord hath enabled me, delivered me from that, and put me in the ministry. What was Paul doing? He's demonstrating the wonderful works of God in his life. God reminded the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy that it was he that had power, that he could give them power to obtain wealth. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, neither a shadow of turning. If, if you have, it's because God has given it to you. And we need to show that to our children. You know, what's different? Why is our family different than the troubled one down the road? You know, we, we could drive up and down our cul-de-sac and count the houses and how many homes 
or broken or drugs or some side, you know, some kind of something like that. What is the difference? I can answer it in one word. It's God. It's God. Thirdly, I must hurry. So a, we are to sow a relationship with God in our children. This is what this is all about. Verses 6 through 8. That the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might set their hope in God, then not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. You see, it is our duty as fathers to train our children. They set their hope in God. That's what he says, that they might, you know, we're to declare them to the generation to come, that they might know them, even those that should be born. That they they would pass them on to the next generation. We're talking about three or four generations here. That they might set their hope in God. That they might, you know, by keeping our word to them, you know, we are, they call us Father. And by keeping our word to them and honoring our Heavenly Father and by keeping His commandments and keeping our word to our children, being faithful and consistent, we are demonstrating that God is faithful and consistent. You know, we as fathers have the opportunity to actually instill in our children from the time they're wee little, from the time they're born, the attributes of God. Like no one else has. They call you father. They call us father. And there's some, you know, there, there is something about, I noticed in my own kids, I was talking to, uh, someone yesterday about this very thing. There's something about when daddy speaks or when daddy spanks that is just totally, has a totally different effect. And there's only one explanation for it it's because of God's design. You see, the, the way that God made us is that we look to our dads, and the way we look to our dads is how we view God. Many times. And so it's imperative uh, to us as fathers that we endeavor, you know, seek the help of God to instill this, to train our children that they might set their hope in God. That they might not forget the works of God. It's our duty to train our children to keep His commandments. By teaching them there are consequences for disobedience. Here we're talking about correction or chastening. Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother that may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Proverbs you know, Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 is a very, very um, plain instruction, if you will, 
a warning to fathers. Proverbs 23, 13, 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver that There's consequences to sin from their fathers. There's consequences for disobedience. And they relate that then in their relationship with God. That's why it says a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. A child left without correction is going to have a hard time relating to God. See, we need to sow. And by, by teaching, by, by be living, being a living example, faithful, consistent, you know, consistent is one of the hardest things. But fathers, we have this great opportunity and responsibility. It's a high calling to be an example to them. We also need to teach them or train them to learn from the failures of others. Again, here in Psalm 78, and verse 8 it says, And might not be as their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. We need to show them from the Bible, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're not an exception. If you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. And we, we, can, we can also do that from everyday life. Just look around you. At the heartache and misery, people are brought in their lives because of their Rejection of God. See, wisdom is that we should, again, train our children that they do not fall into the errors of past generations. Fathers, we have an awesome responsibility and an awesome privilege. You know, with, with, with that, there's, a, there's an opportunity for a great reward. God desires that we be faithful and establish a testimony of his power and his working in our lives, a relationship in our homes, and pass it on to our children that they might rise up and declare them to their children. You know, are you endeavoring to pass on to your children a faith that they can pass on to their children? That they can pass on to their children? Fathers, do you know the Lord? Are you walking in the Spirit of God and obeying Him?
and fulfilling, desiring to fill your role in training the next generation. It's what God desires of us, and God doesn't ask anything. He doesn't give us the wisdom to do if we're willing to do it. We just need to be willing to pay the sacrifice, pay the price, but the price is well worth it.